0: Hi, I'm Phoebe Lovett and this is Deep Read, a podcast where I speak to big thinkers about big ideas. Every episode of the series is accompanied by a further reading list which you can find at public-library.online and if you enjoy the episode I'd really appreciate if you could like, subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Thank you for listening. My guest today is the stylist, publisher and creative consultant Francesca Burns, Fran began her editorial career as fashion editor at ID and later became senior fashion editor at Love before joining British Vogue. She has collaborated with pretty much every major fashion photographer you can think of. David Sims, Harley Weir, Merton Marcus, Yagantella, Teller and styled countless shoots for Vogue Italia, The Gentlewoman, WSJ and W among many others. In recent years Fran has focused on creative consultancy for both established and up-and-coming brands including the highly acclaimed LVMH prize winner, Nancy Dojeka. I met Fran not that long ago and was struck by her warm, unassuming manner, which is totally at odds with the icy fashion industry stereotypes, as well as her clear curiosity about realms and spaces that exist far outside of the material world in which she's been so prolific. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Fran. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast. No. So I'm very excited. <laughs> it's not your
0: first podcast.
1: <laughs> and a bit nervous, but um but yeah, this is my first book. Yeah, I tend to go off on a tangent, so I'll try not to
0: no, stay focused we- on the Listen, task the whole I'm point and- is the tangent is the whole point. Um but yeah, thank you for being here. It's it's lovely to chat with you. Whenever I Googled you doing my research, it's like super stylist, super stylist. um how do you feel about that title
1: I find it really I do you know what it still feels quite um uncomfortable to me I mean actually the google search I'm like oh god because I know the first thing that comes up is a load of really dodgy pictures from about 12 years ago where I had (laughs) a lot of terrible haircuts in my time um but yeah super stylist it feels like part, part of me but not all of me and you know, I'm really fortunate to have had the career that I've had. And, um, but so much has happened, I think to me in the last few years that I think super stylist is, is not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about myself and what I do, I guess it's part of my story, but yeah.
0: How do you describe yourself now? if not as a super,
1: you've not introduce yourself as a super
0: stylist? Fran?
1: Yeah, hi, I'm Fran Byrne, super stylist, nice to meet you. Um, I think you no, could get away with
0: it, it's justified, but I understand perhaps why you don't.
1: People slowly stepping away going, okay. <laughs> but um, I guess, yeah, I, I think I would describe myself now very much as like a work in progress. I don't yeah. think there's, um, I think, Yeah, the last few years have really given me like the opportunity to kind of, I don't know, kind of reassess and, um, and kind of like redefine myself. And whilst definitely styling is still very much part of what I do, I think that I do lots of other things as well. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Was that a sort of process that was (laughs) triggered by the pandemic or did it come before that?
1: It was coming. And um, I think like 2019 was such a like huge year for me. It was I don't know what was going on. I was busier at work than I'd ever, ever been before. I took something crazy like 137 flights. I felt like I didn't exist. I was just like going, Mm. going, going. And actually, I got really sick and unsurprisingly i like i actually had like proper proper burnout and i think september yeah september i kind of had to take time out and i went to um arizona and i went to like this kind of incredible i guess it's not rehab but it was like emotional rehab mm. um which was one of the hardest things i've definitely ever done but one of the most important And I guess like any kind of personal work, once you start, it's like there's no going back. It's like you've walked into a room and someone's turned the light on and suddenly you're like, oh, God, I thought it was completely different. But no. Um, So, yeah. And then my health really suffered. Like I just I just was suffering completely from like nervous exhaustion and I kept just getting sick and getting sick and. I'd have to sort of take time off and by the end of the year I was in hospital for like 10 days and I just was like at that point thinking I don't know how I can keep living like this it's no lie like I can't handle it emotionally I can't handle it physically and then when the pandemic happened I mean obviously it was awful and terrifying in many many things but it was also perfect like good timing to stop Mm. And I was like oh good I don't need to make excuses anymore I can literally just sit in my house and stare at a wall and be like what next um so yeah it wasn't the pandemic was kind of like aligned with my nervous breakdown which is (laughs) which was quite (laughs) useful for me and not like under you know undermining the seriousness and the gravitas of what happened but yeah. on a personal level like I was lockdown one was a good opportunity it a good for me to for you. it's so, interesting
0: yeah. how I think a lot of people can share a story about how when the pandemic happened their lives had somehow built to a crescendo that felt completely unsustainable in whatever way that was yeah and yeah obviously, as you say, you know, not to undermine the the gravitas, the situation and how awful it was for a lot of people, but, um, just so many sort of reset stories have come out of it. Yeah. Um, so obviously you'd, you'd, you'd got to that point by building a career, you know, prior to that which had just sort of gained tons of momentum dating back to your uh, as you said your your dodgy hair hair start, not your words not mine I didn't see any dodgy no, hairstyles. No, they, so,
1: they were so dodgy
0: well I'm sure they at the time for the era they were Very fab yeah because
1: yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> you you started out your career as a fashion stylist if I'm correct at ID is that right
1: it is I ID was like um I actually, my first ever job was working for Kylie Minogue. Oh,
0: okay. Which, um, <laughs> Kylie Predated ID. Sorry, I got my... Predated my, know, ID.
1: Yeah, that was, um, that was like my... I was at London College of Fashion and we had to do an internship. And that was where I landed, was working for Kylie's creative director. Mm. But it was such an incredible opportunity because growing up kind of like on the cusp of the internet. Like I just, I didn't really know that much about what styling meant. And at that time, like she was so famous and I mean, she is so famous. She's incredible, but um, we were just doing everything from like the cover of pop magazine to putting a tour together to like endless, endless photo shoots. So for me, it was like the perfect opportunity to kind of see all these different avenues in fashion and find my feet and kind of like, I knew nothing at all. Like, I walked into my first day on the job, was like a music video um, for Can't Get You Out of My Head, which is like, wow, that's a pretty iconic so sure. like, <laughs> And it was so epic. And I was like, you know, just this kind of like very normal girl that had never experienced anything like this in my life my mind was like blown I could not believe I was there that's the one where she's wearing the
0: iconic like hooded
1: yeah and like the visors and everything and all these like amazing Rudy Gernreich references and William Klein references and like you know It was just so amazing to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. I'm so lucky. And what was meant to be like a two-week placement, I ended up staying for like two and a half years and like dropping out of college to go on tour with her. And it taught me so much. Like I'm definitely – I've never actually done anything in music since then. And Mm -hmm. it's definitely like working in that capacity is, is not for me. But as a starting point at that time, like to work with her, the most like incredible, generous, inspiring woman and all of these kind of like creative melting pots of like dance and fashion and editorial and performance. It was just a brilliant, brilliant start. But I loved it was like the magazine stuff that really got me going. So I a job came up at ID and I just went for it.
0: I think, um, with all respect to what ID is now, the kind of roots of the magazine and how it originated. Because I, I read that you worked with um, Terry Jones or were interviewed yeah. by Terry Jones, who I've also had the pleasure to meet a number of times. And um, Terry and Trisha Jones, the couple that founded ID. I mean, you know, I'm sure they're, they're not in the spotlight out of choice, but such an iconic couple and sort of the ethos with which they founded the magazine. I'm, I feel like not that many people know of today.
1: No, I just, they, I couldn't, but when I got to do my interview with Terry, it was just like, I I was so, so, so nervous because he was a hero to me. Like growing up ID had been this window to a world that I was so desperate to be a part of and you know it was like street style is such a common like part of fashion now it's like it's the fa- mm-hmm. it's the starting point but when he did it he was really the first one that kind of put took the street to the pages of a magazine and kind of like mm-hmm. you know his eye on this whole world that like he was so fascinated and inspired by the people he would see he was like you know these should be this is more interesting than a model and you know he used to work at vogue and left vogue to to start id and um he and trisha what they kind of created there this culture of family which is still so true like the friends that i made there are my friends for life they're my like chosen family i still mm-hmm. speak to terry and trish i like everybody that kind of comes through that world is forever connected because it's just, you know, it, it comes from such a good place. It comes, it's really like looking at people and style and fashion from like a place of genuine love. And I know that yeah. might sound a bit corny, but it's like, if you've met Terry, you know, he was he's just like a, a fan. He loves like to see people expressing themselves. He loves creativity. He loves yeah. like the art of dressing up. And I think... I didn't realise until I left ID like what an incredible, truly like democratic environment it was, where it was always like diversity and all these kind of conversations that are so vital now yeah. have been part of that ID DNA since the like inception of the magazine. And yeah, if you look at ID from the eighties,
0: yeah. early eighties, it's totally diverse. And yeah. you know, even down to the fact that, like that, as you say, that style of street style photography that they pioneered—the straight yeah. up, like yeah. that—didn't exist. People, did, no one was taking pictures of "quote unquote" normal people with amazing style, just up against a wall or in the street. And now that basically yeah. defines the whole of Instagram.
1: The whole of Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's and I phenomenal. don't
1: know if people. People know, and it's just like. I last, I mean, I last saw Terry and Tricia, um, Judy Blame's funeral, but which, you know, was an incredible event and a rightful testament to an incredible, incredible man. And, um, it was just extraordinary to see them, to look around, to be this, like hundreds of people that had all been connected to this, to this magazine. And mm. I just, I'm so, so grateful that they gave me that opportunity because it was absolutely like formative beyond anything else that I've ever done. And yeah, yeah, I'll I'll always be grateful to them for that.
0: I was, um, I was doing some reading on like the history of fashion, like stylist as a job because I was just kind of curious, you know, stylists now occupy a really big space in sort of our culture. Like you have celebrity stylists and often people know the names of people who are styling the celebrities that they follow, like these people hold like huge importance. And it was interesting yeah. to read that like really before the 80s and I guess really coinciding with that era of ID and the face and particularly like Ray Petrie, that there wasn't, styling wasn't a standalone job. It was usually sort of like the job of the fashion editor to sort of do it on the side and then these really iconic stylists came in, or these like these, not even you know, just like creatives, really interesting creative people with so much flair that it kind of segued into becoming its own its own profession. I just wonder, I don't, I don't know where you grew up, and I just wondered, like you said, that ID was influential to you, and did you know that stylist was a job, and and if so, like why did you think you might be drawn to it?
1: No, I had no idea. I I grew up in like um, a small town like, outside of London, like an hour outside of London. I went to a convent school and there were like 32 girls in my year. Like my world was so small and um, fashion for me became like a really, <clears throat> a really sort of vital part of my life like I was always into it growing up and I changed my clothes constantly as a as a girl like driving my mum mad leaving things all over the floor which I still do but um it was I um yeah I lost my dad when I was 12 and it's a really difficult age to go through something like that well it's always difficult to go through something like that but your other kids just don't know how to talk to you Mm. that it's like you know, it's very, um, it was quite an isolating experience for many, many reasons. But fashion gave me like, not only like a great disguise, like I didn't have to be defined as that kind of sad, traumatized girl. I'd be like, oh, Fran's here and she's wearing this. And fashion actually gave me like a way back into my peer group. And I quickly learned like, from my babysitter who was obsessed with the cure and always looked so amazing, like how to do my makeup, how to like colour my hair, how to like use fashion as a language to say something about myself. And Mm. it was like having a magic wand, like literally like black eyeliner and some sun in hair bleach (laughs) changed my life. (laughs) and um, Sun in changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) Sun in changed my life but it was it's such I just kind of like really it it really changed a lot for me and I was like became obsessed with with clothes and like how it could connect me to other people and um we you know the local news agent I'd always browse the magazines my mum would you know buy Vogue and I think Elle and but i was always interested in the face and id and particularly id because of the street style element i was like looking at these people thinking oh my god i could be like them or go where they go and like you know taking it all in and london was just close enough that it seemed like somewhere i could actually get to and um i kind of realized like i'd always read who put pictures together but the idea of like what a stylist was was like a complete mystery to me and yeah I loved art but I wasn't that good at it and I loved um I loved fashion but I didn't want to be a designer so the idea it was actually like quite a really ad hoc way that I ended up going to fashion school I was actually followed a horrible boyfriend to Royal Holloway University and it was doing like a business law degree for which is as random as it sounds <laughs> like what the hell
0: was no, I just, doing I
1: can't, I can't really picture you there. No, I'll, I'll picture like this this absolutely like completely out of body girl in like a Vivian Westwood mini kilt a pair of black buffalo platform boots like peroxide hair home done so it was like hanging to my head with like the skin of its teeth like I think I shaved my eyebrows and like penciled them on it was very of the time and I was to say I was a fish out of water was like the understatement of the century I was so depressed i did not know what i was doing there i was like this is hell there has to be more to life than this and actually my i was doing history as like um part of my curriculum and my history director was called david bowie and i was okay. the only person there that knew that that was like kind of amazing <laughs> that he was called that i was like you're called david bowie what and he was like oh yeah my parents were big fans and um we really got on and he just held me back after a class one day and said, I have to ask you because I was being really bullied as well. People just thought I was a freak and they would literally like throw toilet rolls at me and say, oh, freak, freak. It was I was like, Ugh. obviously. And um he was like, I have to ask you, like, what are you doing here? And I just cried and cried and cried. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I was with this boy and obviously we'd broken up and he was like awful anyway. And um, it, yeah, it was just, and he was like, have you considered going to fashion college? And I was like, but I, I don't want to be a fashion designer. I can't draw. And he was like, well, there's, there's so many other things you could do. And he knew someone at London College of Fashion. So set up an interview for me and help me transfer which was just like the best thing that ever like amazing thank god for right. him. thank god for David Bowie, thank god for <laughs> Bowie both of
0: them <laughs>
1: both of them so, so yeah once you got was, to
0: London College of Fashion once, did you you just felt like you you'd found your people
1: I felt like I'd found my people I absolutely loved it. And it was like, I loved all of it. I loved the writing. I was doing a journalism and promotion course and I loved writing. I loved like cultural studies. I loved living in London and actually being able to like go out and be connected to to that culture. Um, Yes, I definitely found my people. It was like an amazing um, opportunity to be there and just like finally feel like I was in a world where I had something in common Mm. with people around me. I'd never, ever felt like that before. I was always very much like on my own.
0: And then you got the internship, but you said that after a couple of years of doing that, as amazing as it was, you kind of realised that maybe working in the music industry wasn't for you and you were more drawn to magazines. What was it or, and what still is it about sort of creating editorials for magazines that you think is really your lane?
1: It was um, something. Can I tell you a story, if it's not too much of a tangent? Yeah, of course. (laughs) When I was working with Kylie, we did a cover of Pop, and it was Matt and Marcus was shooting it, and Katie Graham was styling it, and I was just there taking, like, her wardrobe of stuff that she'd requested, and this was kind of before... Matt and Marcus were really famous at that time, but not super, super famous like they are now. And they still lived in a flat on old street and they pretty much shot everything in this flat. Mm. And it was watching them work. Like Kylie is someone that's so like well-known and sugar-coated and sweet, like sexy pop star, but they transformed her and like watching them at work with her, like everything, like t- changing the hair, they kind of like bleached her eyebrows. They gave her this incredible wig, like. I'd never seen her like that. And watching this happen in front of my eyes, I was like, I need to, like, I now I get it. Now I get how these pictures happen. And, um, yeah, that was, that was when I realised, like, I really wanted to see what happened at magazines. And I really, really actively, like, went looking for work at, at magazines. And the editorial, like, image making is just one part of what makes magazines so amazing I loved Mm -hmm. like being part of the team being part of the dialogue being part of that whole conversation about like oh who do we want on the cover like what are we going to wear what collections did we love like being in that team environment is always just like you just get so much and you learn so much and like especially at that time at ID like everyone around me was so expansive like every conversation would teach me something or show me something new and it was like that it was so so wonderful and I love making pictures because it's you're always in that collaborative space and the dialogue between yourself and the photographer between the model and kind of like telling a story and sort of you know saying that on the page is such an incredible way to express yourself and how you feel and um, how you see the world, how you see women. And it's really like, I don't know, it's it's a very special position to be in, to be able to kind of work in that way, that that's your job. It's yeah. It's pretty cool.
0: I guess also maybe a few years ago when you were doing – primarily just doing that kind of work magazines really set the cultural tone in a way perhaps yeah. they don't now because of social media or, yeah. or certainly set the aesthetic tone like the, the impact that a magazine a cover could make on style and you know street style of course they're still incredibly impactful but because social media has become so huge obviously them it's diluted inevitably it's diluted
1: yeah Totally. And I really, really felt that. And I think I kind of went on such a a journey with the places that I worked. Like I went from Idea, went to work at Love and then from Love after a very brief stint at GQ style, which <laughs> you know was the year best not best forgotten, but wasn't the best year of my life. Um okay. I'm then moved on to working at Vogue and I was at British Vogue for For nearly five years which isn't very long like most people stay there forever and after that I was so like disillusioned with the industry it just kind Mm -hmm. of got to a point where and I don't know if that was just like Condé Nast at that time but it was so prescribed and this huge shift had happened with social media but also like the brands held the power so you'd it got to a point where I'd be shooting and it was like everybody had this very specific criteria like you had to shoot the look exactly as it had been shown on the runway with the shoes and it just felt like you were kind of having to compromise yourself so much to serve this machine and of course like fashion is commerce like there's no way around that and I totally totally respect the business of fashion it's vital but at the same time it kind of got like the boundaries got smaller and smaller and smaller so I left working there um, and I really wanted to kind of go freelance and and see what uh, how else I could work in the fashion space and i started my own magazine called print with my friend yeah. christopher simmons which for both of us having come from a background of magazines and definitely being like lovers of magazines we just wanted to find a way to to like get back to that reason why we went into it in the first place like making pictures for this for the joy of making pictures like shooting a person because you find them incredible and kind of re like challenging what magazines were because we kind of were in this conversation where whether it's Vogue or ID or like a a zine most people stick to the same formula where there's like a front section a middle a main well and then like a bit at the back and I yeah. was like, why does it always have to be this? Like, why can't we just, you know, we were just talking, Chris and I, and we were like, we can just, we can do whatever we want. Like we're in charge here. And we just kind of started to play really. And it was so much fun to do because we'd kind of make pictures and then we'd go away and like, go, okay, maybe we need to add a bit more to this story. Like we weren't on a, on a time deadline we weren't like I mean we were on a budget because we funded the whole thing ourselves but what the way that we could produce it was limitless we were like what does print mean now
0: so and often yeah, as we, you you know ha- having limitations actually kind of ends up in a more interesting final product I mean you're working with brands and huge magazines with huge budgets like it's not necessarily yielding the most interesting or creative results, whereas when you've just got freedom and yeah. nothing to lose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, we had nothing to lose. We were just like, we've let's just, let's just see what we can do. And um, yeah, that was that kind of brought me back to life a bit because I think like Mm. by the time I left Vogue, I was a bit sort of like, Oh my God, (laughs) what now? And no disrespect to the legacy of Vogue because obviously, you know, it's, it's an amazing magazine, but certainly during my time there, it just felt like a lot of box ticking and you kind of lose yourself a bit to service that big machine.
0: When you look back at, um, you know, I mean, you must have done hundreds and hundreds of shoots at this point, yeah, when you look back or 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 not even look back, but just sort of when you think about your work like what what do you think are the sort of through lines of your work since you started your career, if there are any, whether that's aesthetic or just a feeling, a mood, colors, whatever, like what do you feel like are your signatures?
1: um, I always kind of come back to this idea of things being aspirational and tangible like i like to feel the woman as someone like i never want to objectify a woman i mean i'm the majority of my work is in women's wear so i guess i don't know to find i don't to say i don't really have a signature but maybe it's it's that it's always someone that you can kind of relate to in some way mm. and it's quite playful and joyful. Like I really, mm. really love women and I love to celebrate women and being able to do that through image making is like, it, yeah,
0: I think that's not a
1: very good answer. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, um, I just, You know, it's,
0: it's maybe it's a prescriptive way of looking at your work that you don't feel. Maybe you don't feel like there's a through line. I'm just always interested in, you know, what sort of connects the dots, especially if you do something visual, Like maybe there was something you saw that you did on a shoot and, you know, in ID back in the day that you feel like you're still doing now. But it it also makes sense that maybe it's just more, you know, connecting to the to the model. I guess models are often sort of depersonalized and like they're just treated as clothes horses. And I know that that's not your MO with the way that you work.
1: No. And actually, I never and this is. Yeah, I never it never starts with the clothes. It always starts with the woman. And it's always been that way for me. And it's like, I think, especially like coming into fashion through the lens of ID and like the photographers of that era, like Bruce Weber or Jurgen Teller or Terry Richardson. At that time, it was like you, I was seeing people, like models were people to me. They weren't just kind of like clothes horses. And I'd know Mm -hmm. who everybody was and I'd kind of follow the women. And the fashion just became a kind of like, A reason to do it but it was always like a character study like and it and it still is for me it's like I think I think about the casting before I look to what she's gonna wear it's Mm. like oh I'm obsessed with her I really want to make pictures with her and then an idea will come but it it starts always it starts with the woman
0: yeah and I think it sort of reflects the truism that style is not really about what you wear but kind of how you live your life and It transfers through to so many, every facet of your life from what you eat to, you know, where you go on holiday, the books you read, the way your home looks, the way you operate as a person. Um, How do you think about your own style? Like, what are you trying to achieve when you get dressed? (laughs) Not (laughs) at all. I'm over it now, actually.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I just kind of like, oh, what my own style. I just, I'm definitely in a stage of my life now where I'm building a wardrobe and I Mm. think like over the past probably I don't know maybe 10 years I've had such a big sort of shift in my thinking when it comes to sort of sustainability that whilst I love 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 clothes I love the way things make me feel I like, I'm always looking for that something, I guess it's a bit feminine, but also functional just because of how I live. Like I'm always moving around, walking here to there. Like I need a certain practicality to my day-to-day looks, but I really try and shop with like longevity in mind. Mm -hmm. Whereas my hardcore shopaholic days, I was like hard fashion I want to think straight off the catwalk. Like I used to get a thrill from being the first one in Prada, like new season Prada. I was like, ah, and, um, yeah, it was just like a real habit. No, it was so, like, I used to be on WhatsApp with all the sales assistants, and they'd be, like, sending me, it was like, oh, my God, Celine assistant in the back room unpacking those Phoebe Philo boxes. I was like, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Rabid. <laughs> sending it through, and I'd be running down there and, like, spending every penny I had.
0: Um, I mean, you must have a quite words. incredible archive if that's how you were operating.
1: I, it's actually... Yes, yeah, so it's, there's there's a lot of stuff, but it's like, it's weird that I don't feel like that person anymore. Like I have, right. I think when things are so of the moment, you kind of wear them and then you need to like leave them alone for like 10 years and then go back right. to them or actually five now or the cycle fashion is so quick. It's probably less time, but um it's, yeah, now I definitely like I definitely shop for for like I build on on things and like I have to sort of have a reason
0: to buy something new. What's the last thing you bought that you really love? uh
1: the last thing I bought is a pair of like white marshla tabby boots that uh, they're not kind of white leather they're painted, and I absolutely like love 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 them.
0: I wear the passion them every day. Is still there. My,
1: oh my god my boyfriend hates them so much and he was like every time I wear them he's like oh god he hates tabbies in
0: general or just those ones
1: I mean they're not exactly like a a sort of like (laughs) sexy shoe (laughs) They're so man repellent looks like you've got her (laughs) but um yeah I love them I I wear them
0: pretty much every day
1: so yes that's the last thing I'm sure they're
0: fab I'm sure you stole them well. It's interesting because I feel like there is now finally and genuinely a, a shift, and I think this is largely heralded by Gen Z, towards um, buying secondhand, buying vintage, um, you know, the messages finally getting through. And obviously, as you say, fashion does need an overhaul. It's one of the biggest polluters in the world. I mean, there's some yeah. scary stats that I won't spout at you because you know them. Um mm-hmm do you think that fashion has the capacity to turn itself around? And, and are you fut- hopeful for like the future of it? Because it, it is, there's certain elements of the way that the industry works, which is just feels so out of step with what we know about um, its environmental impact. And it's kind of crazy. Sometimes I'm like, can't they just ban these fast fashion sites? Like someone should just, ban- what's that one? Sheen. Like someone should just ban that. No.
1: It should be completely banned. I, it should be illegal, but I feel like, I do feel really hopeful, actually, because I think fashion is such an incredible catalyst for change. That's what Mm. the whole industry is based on. But also, I think like what we need to talk more about as an industry is the fact that we are we are living through a change. It's like and it's not something that happens quickly. It's not something that moves you know, oh, today we're going to be a sustainable brand. It's a huge, huge, huge systemic shift that needs to happen, not just mm. in fashion, like everywhere, interiors. Yeah. Like I was in a nail salon the other day and I was like, oh my God, this whole place is like made of plastic marble using like mm. toxic chemicals. Everything is being thrown away. Nothing is recyclable. And it's mm. like, it doesn't matter where you look, like building industry um you know every single part of modern life has got a time limit because you know it's not going to be possible to keep doing things the way we do them for much longer but I think with fashion it's like I work a lot with sustainable angle who organize the future fabrics exhibition And they've really been like huge pioneers in this conversation. And every time I go to their showroom or to that event, I'm seeing people, like extraordinary people, doing extraordinary things. And it's moving, not as quickly as I hoped that it would, but it is definitely moving forward. And every year upon year, there's like new innovation, new technology. And I guess. I would love for like the big houses to kind of really make a stand.
0: It's an incredible business model, way more than actually as someone who's not in fashion. I didn't even realize like, I know that sounds um, naive and absurd, but I, I watched Kingdom of Jeans, the documentary series that you recommended to me, yeah. which everyone who is listening should go and watch. It's um, sort of like a fabulous four part exposé of sort of the dark side of what i guess was referred to as the golden era of fashion which was like what the 90s early 2000s John Galliano yeah. Marc Jacobs Alexander McQueen and Tom Ford yeah and um yeah it just sort of documents how Bernard Arnault and um what's the other one is mate Pino Francois Pino yeah how they built those industries into the insane profit churners that they are today. I mean, fashion really is mind boggling how much money it makes. So I guess perhaps they don't have the biggest incentive to slow it down. But when I was watching it, I thought about you and, and just sort of, you know, I don't want to paint fashion with a bad brush because I, I know, you know, there's so much creativity and art and, It's so important in so many ways, but it does undeniably look very toxic and, um, you know, and quite dark for a lot of people who have worked in it. How have you navigated that in your life?
1: I mean, I definitely it's felt like that for me, too, because I think fashion, it's a really it is an extraordinary industry because there are so few industries that you can actually work creatively and make a living it's like it's a really there's so many jobs there's so much opportunity for so many different Mm -hmm. skill sets and in that sense it's really amazing but on the other hand I think like if you're artistically creative you tend to be quite sensitive anyway so it's Mm. also a magnet for really sensitive fragile volatile people <laughs> which presents itself in a myriad of ways like some people are really are really like soft all the time other people kind of have this like massive ego with a huge like defense mechanism up front which can be brutal but you know it is a business at the end of the day and i think it does create an environment where someone once described it to me as like a crocodile pit because you're just like everyone's out for themselves and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that happening too. But having said that, like my experience with it, I've I'm old enough now to take myself out of situations that make me feel compromised in that way. And I just don't tolerate it. I don't want it. I don't need it no matter what the cost is. But um I was at a friend's wedding last year in in August in Como and it was just so magical and this is somebody that I'd met through fashion and through this work and I was surrounded by people that I like I consider my best best friends and I was like oh my god you know for all the things that people say about this industry like I have really really met the most amazing people and this industry does attract the most amazing people and mm-hmm. of course it's like you know a big business with a lot of complexities to it but you find your tribe wherever you go and I think like like people attract like people so yeah I don't know. I interviewed I do um the,
0: the writer Lou Stoppard recently she used oh, to she edit show studio and yeah. she was saying you know for all fashions reputation for being elitist it actually fosters really diverse array of talent and is a lot less um exclusive than say like the art world you know yeah actually you get people from every walk of life every race every background every sexuality and it and it really is just like a home for all those different people
1: yeah definitely definitely um
0: I wanted to ask you a bit about your collaborative relationships and I know now, well, I believe now you work primarily more as a creative consultant than sort of day-to-day stylist Um, and you've got various relationships that you've built and are building. I just wondered like how does your collaboration process work and are there any relationships at the moment in your working life that feel particularly fruitful?
1: I think all of I have to say all of my working relationships feel very fruitful um and that's I just I work with um the designer Nancy Diaco. you came to the show and I've been working with Nancy since she graduated from St Martin's and she is working with her is just like pure joy I can't describe it any other way she is such a talent and I love her vision of women I love Mm -hmm. the way that she creates the way that she kind of you know she's not she works in such a unique way in that she doesn't I've never seen a reference picture on her wall or like a mood board she literally just drapes on the mannequin and she does it all herself and kind of like the way that she kind of I don't know like dresses the body is so beautiful and it's like this really sweet spot between femininity and strength like vulnerability Mm. and strength there's something very sort of sensitive about what she does but also very strong Mm. and working with her has just been like an absolute joy beyond words like being able to support someone at the beginning of their career being able to kind of like help her develop into like this incredible brand that she is today and it's been such a short amount of time like she only graduated three years ago she's she's incredible like incredible and I love working with her
0: in a working relationship like that like what role are you playing how do you sort of as you say sort of support or or help help a young designer like that
1: um it's just constant conversation And Mm. I think it was, when I saw her graduate collection, like she was part of the um, St. Martin's MA show, I was as soon as the first look came out, I was like, oh, you just lit up. I was like, this is Mm. really good. And um, it was actually Lulu Kennedy that put us together because I'd said to Lulu, I was like, you've got to let Nancy know if she needs any help. I'd love to, I'll help her. And um, yeah, so the way that it works is just, I see her a lot. I talk to her pretty much every day. We just sort of send ideas back and forward to each other. And it's like one of the great privileges about getting older is the fact that you do have all this expertise and you do have like, you know, a a wider point of view. And I think being able to offer that to somebody that's just at the beginning, like Mm. it's a two way experience because she teaches me a lot, too. And starting a brand now um, as a young woman in 2023, it's like her worldview is so different from mine, but at the same time, like I kind of have that, um, experience in the industry where I can kind of, I see the potential in things and I can help her to just kind of like, you know, to develop it because I can see the potential in her. So I guess I'm kind of like a sounding board and I don't, yeah I don't know what how else to
0: describe it wise (laughs) sage wise old lady but no no, I just
1: like to help push her like because I can see what she can she's capable of yeah and and also like if things are missing and it's like oh have you thought about this or have you seen this it's like I feed into her all the time
0: right it's a kind of cliched question but I, I want to ask it just in case there is anyone who's listening who admires your work which I'm sure there will be and would see, was seeking some advice on getting into the fashion industry today what what do you tell I'm sure you get young people contacting you all the time asking for advice what do you tell them
1: uh I always tell people like that to remember that the only true measure of success is your own personal happiness yeah and when people are starting out and like I used to have this conversation with the interns at Vogue all the time I used to just tell people to like really do everything you can to discover your own taste like especially Mm. right now where we're really in like overwhelmed with images all day every day through social media it's like find what you love, like collect pictures, do it. I mean it used to be Tumblr. I don't think it is Tumblr anymore. It's like now Instagram. But like constantly harvest things that speak to you and like never lose sight of what you like and what you want to do. Because at the end of the day, like if you want to go into fashion, if you want to go into image making or any form of like creative expression, you have to know yourself. And authenticity is like the most your biggest commodity because there's so mm. many people out there like making pictures but only you can do what you do and we're all a sum of our parts so it's like pay attention follow what you love and just keep like if you want to get into styling like reach out to stylists that you like like you can learn something in every situation never think that you can't grow but mm just keep following like your instincts because they will never let you down.
0: I think that carving out a unique point of view or aesthetic or it's so challenging now because of, as you said, the barrage of imagery that people see every day that seeps into your subconscious, whether you're aware of it or not. And I think some people don't realize again, the depth of references that go into great image making. Yeah. These aren't, you know, you I think you mentioned at the beginning some references that went into that Kylie shoot. I can't remember exactly what you said, but they're not, they're not like saved pics off Instagram, you know, they're art references, their interiors references, you know, that there's so much depth to that. How does your own sort of image making research process work?
1: It can usually it usually starts with just one thing, be it like, like I said like sometimes it's mostly it's like the model but when it comes to like building the shoot and the idea like around that it can come from a single picture it can be meeting a friend for lunch and like loving the way that they're dressed it's it's really like there's always something around you and I think in when I was starting out, I used to be so afraid of like stepping on someone's toes if if the reference became really obvious, but mm. now I kind of feel like we're never gonna be completely unbiased, like unless you're a child styling, it's like <laughs> now at this point, there's no way that I can do something that hasn't been like informed by a million other things, but I always kind of think like um it comes through me so even if i've looked at like a reference picture the way that it's translated is going to evolve and it's almost like music when people like sample the a, sort of a song and put it in a new song it's like we're always going to be kind of telling repeating history in some respect but it evolves and it becomes more current and it becomes our own when we use it in our own voices yeah so Yeah, I know that sounds, it might sound a bit of a... No, not at
0: all. I I think as much as, you know, there's a danger of replicating other people's work, there's also a danger of being overly cautious in using references, which artists have done before, long before the internet and will do forever more.
1: No, totally. And it's just like, it's being respectful to that. And I think also being honest about it. And it's like, yeah, you can look to an artist, you can kind of like, translate that in your own words but you it it kind of like with confidence you kind of borrow like I borrow from lots of different things and it's like I'll take a bit of this and I'll take a bit of that and then kind of I like to see how it lands together
0: yeah um before we wrap up I wanted to speak to a little bit about your journey outside of fashion I guess yeah sort of one that sounds like it really kicked off in earnest in twenty nineteen and then sort of evolved in twenty twenty. And um just from the few times we've met, I've already become aware of your sort of journey into and also what you share on Instagram, ironically enough. Your journey into sort of uh holistic wellness, spirituality, your interest in fields that are very different to you know, your work in image making. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like what that journey that you've been on, what it looks like and what's kind of informed it?
1: yeah last I mean I when I was talking to you about getting really sick when I was sick my recovery um it was really the first time that I'd used food as a healing tool like Mm -hmm. when I came out of hospital I had to totally change my diet I had to look at all my kind of everyday practices and kind of almost like I returned to my body that might sound a bit Mm -hmm. out there but I think um I've always felt very passionately about women's issues and the way that women are presented in the media and through the language of image making like in a million ways how we are reflected back to ourselves and I think for me like the conversation around health and well-being in fashion has always been quite toxic like we're Mm. constantly presented with like a million ways to lose weight as if being thin and being young are the only two reasons why we should be valid as human beings and um, it's it was always it never kind of sat easily with me but I don't think I really realized like quite how toxic the culture was until I actually came back to myself through being Mm -hmm. sick and I think using food as as a way of healing and getting better like it was extraordinary just through making some simple changes to my diet to how I kind of started my day to like incorporating movement into my life like that I actually kind of felt so much better like better than any drug better than any doctor like anything it was like oh my god I I can't believe that I feel this way having felt so shit for years I didn't even realize how ill I was Mm. and I kind of went on a bit of a tangent and I wanted to learn more and then I did like a short course online and then you know pandemic gave me a bit of time on my hands so (laughs) I decided to like commit to a qualification in nutrition and complementary medicine which was the hardest thing I've ever 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 done in my adult life it was insane I had No idea. I thought I was going to smash it, but my God, (laughs) it basically smashed me. What was so hard about uh, that? Everything. Like I think, not just the sort of I'd done no science at GCSE. Like I basically, when I went into hospital, it was like my I. They thought I'd have to have my gallbladder removed. And mm. I was literally in the back of an ambulance Googling what is a gallbladder. I had no idea about my no own body. <laughs> I was like, what is, what is that? I'll think of that, me that me? afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. And I was like, we become completely disassociated from this, this body that we inhabit. Like I definitely had. And um, so, yes, the course curriculum was very challenging because nutrition is science. But I was suddenly, I was like, "Oh my god!" It was like every, you know, working at Vogue every month. There's a new thing to follow, like lose weight by eating cheese and meat, like Atkins or Paleo or Keto or, you know, low carb, no carb, high carb, no fat. Blah, 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 but like mm. you, it's impossible. We there's so time. much like noise being yeah. screamed at us all the time. So to suddenly like actually be able to sit there and go, okay, this food has this nourishment and it does this to this cells and this process. I was like, ah, it was liberating. It felt like relief, and Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I found it really hard, but I loved, loved, loved learning it. But at the same time, I was like, so so empowered by understanding how completely and utterly incredible human beings are Mm. and I was kind of it just inspired me because I think as women so often we're reduced to how we look and I think that that's just why when we are so amazing and it's like Mm. women like we're you know completely hormonally different to men the way that we change throughout our lives especially like if women decide to have children if you if you go through motherhood if you you know when you're going through any hormonal changes it's like we will feel different our bodies will look different Mm -hmm. like so much happens to us and it's always like you know the media tells has the script that's so reductive when actually the human body its only purpose from the minute that we're conceived to the minute we die is to keep us optimal not just alive Mm. but like every single cell in our being is working to make us well so I don't know I just find it all um I'm really passionate about it I'm really interested in it and I just would love to find a way to make health more accessible to people Mm. and not this kind of all or nothing. You know, like I said to you, the day starts with the green juice and it ends in a bowl of chips. It's like, we're never, (laughs) that's, that's pretty much my life, but it's not like, um, yeah, we're always kind of sold that you're either, you either are that girl or you're not. It's like, this is bad. This is good. And it's like, actually, Health is cumulative and it should be for everyone and it's not, it shouldn't be overwhelming and it shouldn't be used as like a sort of stick to beat yourself with. It should Mm. be, you know, we should be taught to feel good and to sort of celebrate how incredible we are.
0: What are the like, just briefly, I don't expect you to go into great detail, but I'm interested, what are the kind of core tenets or principles or practices of your own sort of self-care wellness regime these days?
1: Um, I How I start my day tends to anchor my day. So I do meditate in the mornings. I do journal because I love to write and I love to get it all out of my head and onto a bit of paper and movement for me like I love to exercise now I never used to but I absolutely love it it just makes me feel good the endorphins and and then when it comes to food it's like Michael Pollan says it best eat real food not too much mostly plants Mm -hmm. so I kind of just you know I do the best I can but I also love to (laughs) love to eat so I don't kind of deny myself anything it's just mindful choices
0: Mm -hmm. and I think once your nervous system relaxes and knows that you're not going to do anything punitive to it keeping you know if if your desire is to like maintain a sort of balanced weight that sort of happens naturally you know when you're not sort of putting yourself through all these crazy I just feel like I've spent a lot of time putting myself through crazy regimes, and when I stopped doing that, my body just found its way to balance naturally.
1: Absolutely. Who'd have thought? (laughs) Who knew? No, it's it's exhausting. I spent so much time and energy in my life worrying about what size I was or how I looked, and like you know, feeling horrific and like self, like mentally, like torturing myself if I went out for dinner and like had a cheeseburger it's like oh my god and I remember like there was someone I used to work with who was really like obsessed in a very bad way with food and like you know I'd have a sandwich and she'd be like you're having a sandwich like bread I had the devil and it was just like oh it's such a toxic culture and I just think like it's toxic for anybody but I think women particularly bear the brunt of it And the way that we're made to feel about our bodies and chasing these impossible standards is so wrong. And I just kind of wish, you know, I wish that people were taught in school, like the value of of food, of self-care, of like Mm -hmm. the, the simple things you can do to look after yourself instead of like, I feel like we're sort of, you know, but it's so hard for people, and no wonder, like drugs like Azempic is sort of having such a resurgence mm. because people have no idea how to look after themselves. Yeah, so a lot yeah. of
0: people are on it. And it, I just went to New York and like it was actually staggering how many people, even I know, who were on it, you know, because it's easily accessible there. And it do, it made me a bit up, um, made me feel a bit demoralized because I felt like, you know, we've had this sort of supposed body positivity movement and now it feels like it—it so easily sort of snaps back to the default mode of like thin 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 um but at least we have both now we have both models which we didn't have before that you know beautiful bigger models are on the covers on the runways so at least we can like balance it out whereas you know when I was like a kid when I first started looking at magazines there was only one body type and that was like as thin Mm -hmm. as possible in in the short time I've known you you've mentioned quite a lot of different books that you've been reading and I think you're quite like a voracious um autodidact especially in these new fields that you're exploring and I just wondered if you could share with me um a book that you've recently read that made an impact on you and a book that you would recommend to anyone
1: yes I this was quite hard I love these questions but um, Glitch Feminism by Legacy Mm -hmm. Russell I read last year and out of everything that I've read recently I found it so remarkable and so inspiring and I really like if anyone asks me I'm like read this book it's very good Um, and I just think her point of view is just, it's. it was actually quite liberating reading it. I was like, oh, I'm not goodness. familiar
0: with it. Do you, can you give me a top line? No pressure.
1: She, she's, she really is exploring like her experience as a queer, non-binary, black woman in growing up in the digital age. And she, I mean, no, she, she identifies as she, She is a woman, but she's kind of exploring her experience in the digital space and how um, she kind of starts one chapter by sort of with the question, who defines the body, who gives it value, which when I read that, I was like, I mean, that is a great question. (laughs) And really, it was really, really thought provoking in so many levels. But um, her experience of existing in the digital space where you all of the labels that people apply to you when they see you in person are dissolved. And you are, you are really like your truest self in the digital, in the digital space when, you know, there's nothing to kind of like label you, you can really Mm -hmm. just express yourself in such an honest way. And she kind of like tells the story through contemporary art. She's actually a curator. Um, That's her first job. And, um, she references a lot of contemporary artists and it's just, it's a really, I think, incredible, very sensitive um, point of view on modern feminism and or the experience of modern life mm-hmm. as a woman. That's a great work. Thank you. So I would say it's a, it's a really, really good book. And the book, I guess one of the most sort of powerful books I've ever read, like the book that changed not changed my life but was like i've read it probably three times now is the body keeps the score by um Bessel van der kolk who is a scientist that has worked in the relationship between emotional experiences and physical experiences mm. and really um he started out working with um oh my God, what am I saying? People returning from the war in Vietnam and, mm. you know, huge PTSD cases. And he kind of has spent his life putting the science together of how our emotional experiences impact our physical bodies and actually mm. like proving it in a way because I think we're, I don't understand why humans are kind of like put in all these different things like, oh, you know, you'll get over it. You'll be okay. But... I think it was Louise Hay who said anybody that doesn't think the mind and body are connected has clearly never had a sexual fantasy because Mm. it's like I we are like our thoughts are part of us and now there's so much science to actually show how the nervous system is impacted by our emotional responses especially when it comes to trauma and stress. So that book is is was really like important for me.
0: Yeah, it's a game changer that one. Thank you yeah. so much, Fran. Really appreciate you making the time for this in your busy life as a super stylist. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> Thank you so much for asking me. And yeah, um, not too much. Not at all. It was lovely to chat. Thank you.